last Sunday for a while, we're going we're gonna, to, I wrapped up Hebrews last Sunday. I've, that's, that was part 14. <laughs> I mean, Hebrews is inexhaustible, really. Um, but I wanted just to, I'm ready to, to move on to something else. Um, but last Sunday would be the last part, 14. But if you have any other scripture in Hebrews, we covered almost all the, the major points and thoughts in Hebrews. But if you have any thoughts or whatever, please email me. I'll be glad to answer any questions you have about a scripture. And not just about Hebrews, but if I can, if I can help, if I can answer it, I'll be glad to, to do that. Um, what I do is I, I get emails from, from you guys and other saints that I know around the country and stuff, and they'll send me an email, ask a question, and I'll save it. And when I get a chance to get to it, I, I love doing that. So feel free to email me if, if, you, if you want to about any question at all. Feel free to, if you have a verse in Hebrews that you want me to cover or any other scripture, I'll be glad to do that because I love doing that kind of stuff. I just love responding to emails and talking about the scriptures and different issues and stuff. But I, I do believe that we had a really good, a good ride with Hebrews, part one through 14. If you just took those 14 messages on Hebrews, I think it would rock anybody's life if they haven't seen the things that we talked about um, in that letter. Powerful, powerful letter, a portal, really, to another reality when we see what the writer was writing. It's awesome. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about this morning about, I got, speaking of emails, I got an email the other day from a, from a saint, and she asked a question. She said, um, she read the scripture about, about obeying the gospel. And her question was, you know, what does it mean to obey the gospel? And I think she was a little, from what I can tell from her email, she was a little concerned that maybe she's not obeying the gospel, you know, that, that you know, it's, that's more to it than just grace. And I think, I think someone probably rocked her boat a little bit and basically said from TV or somewhere or radio that said, you know, you, have, you can't just believe, you've got to do stuff and to be accepted by God, et cetera, et cetera. So, so what does it mean to obey the gospel? So I want to look at that for a few minutes and uh, see where the Spirit leads us on that. I know you guys already know the answer. How to obey the gospel. It's, it's, so, it's so cool once you see it because it's, it's beautiful. Okay, let's pray. Thanks, guys. Lord, we just thank you so much for that time that's in the letter to the Hebrews and how you opened that letter up to us. And Father, I pray that those teachings will really impact people that are studying the book of Hebrews help them see new things perhaps they've never seen before such a powerful letter written for us to to read and feed on so I pray Father you would take those 14 sessions in the, regarding the letter to the Hebrews and that you would bless it and multiply it and may many many people be blessed by it And now, Lord, as we embark on a different direction, as we are led by your Spirit, I pray that we would depend on you all the more to hear, to see, and to rejoice. To rejoice in this awesome reality that never changes. A fixed reality. You sit on the right hand of the majesty on high, having purged us of all our sins. It's done. It is finished. Thank you, Lord, for this awesome truth. 
Thank you for my brothers, my sisters. Thank you that you're teaching us how to love each other. You're teaching us how to forgive each other, even as Christ has forgiven us. You're teaching us how to forbear with one another. For the love of God covers a multitude of sins. For your love never fails. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I got this email from the sister, and she was quoting Thessalonians. Let's turn to Thessalonians, please, and we'll see what it means to obey the gospel. It's funny that word obey tends to throw people off sometimes. Um, Let's see, it'll be 1 Thessalonians, I'm sorry, 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. While you're looking at that, just just a few thoughts on the word obey or obedience. You'll notice in the book of, uh, well not book, uh, but the letters of Paul, and really all the apostles, you'll, you'll see that they use the word obedience or obey very sparingly. They don't use it that much. Not that it's a bad word, but when they do use it, they use it for a certain meaning, obedience for something very specific. And generally, it is an obedience of faith. It's an obedience to believe, to, uh, to see and believe. Um, so they don't use the word obedience much when they're discussing the Christian life. But what they do talk about, Paul uses words like follow the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, uh, walk in the Spirit. And it's, it's a new terminology for the new covenant believer. The old covenant saint or the old covenant person, uh, it was all about laws and obedience, laws and obedience, laws and obedience, because they did not have the Spirit within them to lead them, nor did they have the complete forgiveness of their sins. And so even the sacrificial system that God set up in the temple with the priest and the sacrifices was an act of obedience, not an act of faith. A lot of people think that they, they were doing this in faith, looking for the Messiah. No, they had no clue. They had no clue. Even the disciples in, the, in Jesus' own day had no clue that he was supposed to die for them. In fact, they were shocked to hear that he was going to be delivered up and killed. They're like, what are you talking about? So to say that these people for centuries back had in their minds this idea that we're bringing a lamb to the temple because one day our Messiah is going to come and die for us was, is, is ridiculous. No, they were just following the statutes and the ordinances and the judgments of, of the old covenant. It was an act of obedience to bring a lamb. It was an act of obedience to bring it to the priest. It was, it was an act of obedience to bring certain sacrifices for certain sins. It was all about statutes. It was law. It was all law. The whole thing was law. It was not, there was no faith involved in, at all. It was just a, now later God would show them what was hidden in the law and hidden in that old covenant so that they could see the real that has come, the law of mere shadows of the good thing that was coming. But they had no clue that they were doing, they weren't doing anything by faith in that regard. With the temple sacrifices, it was all obedience to laws. So obedience was a big word in the old covenant, but it's not that big a word in the new covenant, although it's a great word if you use it properly and understand it properly. Because in the new covenant, it's more about following the spirit. It's more like hearing his voice, being led by him. Who are the sons of God but those who are led by the Spirit of God? And under the new covenant, of course, we have a work that Christ did that is amazing and that he took away the sin of the world. He took away 
he took away our, our disobedience, so to speak. He, the obedient one, took away our disobedience. So you don't have an emphasis in the new covenant of obedience as much as you have of let him live his, his own life through you is really the thought. Be led by the Spirit. Uh, yield to the Spirit. Um, it's not a question of whether you're obedient or not. It's now a question of whether or not he is living through you or not. And we can walk in the flesh or walk in the Spirit. And so the teachings of the, of the apostles are to instruct the believer how to walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. But if we do walk in the flesh, this covenant is so awesome, he has so removed our sin from us that even when we walk in the flesh, sin is not counted against us. So you see what I'm saying? The, the, the focus on obedience and the new covenant takes on a whole new flavor to it, a whole new um, reality. And again, it's not a bad word, but it's, it's, it's not a word the apostles use very often. They use more words that, that are related to this new rea- reality in Christ, that we, are, that we are joined to him, that he is our life, and that when we move and we, we, act, we act out of that spirit. Scripture says that the wrath of God is coming upon the disobedient ones, the sons of disobedience, how it's worded in Ephesians. The sons of disobedience. The sons of disobedience, see, that's another f- phrase that throws Christians off sometimes because they'll think, oh, I, I just disobeyed last, last week, so am I one of the sons of disobedience? No, the sons of disobedience have to do with all those who are, st- who are still in the race of Adam. We were once of the sons of disobedience. We were once of the disobedient race from Adam. Adam disobeyed, and we became all the sons of disobedience. That's why Paul says, by the obedience of one, by the obedience of one, Christ Jesus, we have all been made righteous. So that by one act of disobedience in Adam, sin passed upon the whole human race. Even so, Paul says, by one act of obedience of Christ and offering himself up for our sins, righteousness has passed upon all those who believe. It's awesome. So we are now... You can call yourself the sons of obedience because you're the son of Christ. You're the daughter of Christ. He's the obedient one. Isn't that awesome? So cool. Okay, let's look at this real quick. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Let's just start at verse 5. Chapter 1, verse 5, 2 Thessalonians. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which indeed you are suffering. For after all, it is only just for God to repay with, with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well. When does this happen? This is important. You know, when someone does you wrong, um, sometimes in our natural fleshly way, we want God to judge them because they did us wrong. We want justice to fall on their head now. But... God is, justice is not going to fall on their head until he comes back, the second coming. The scripture says, God says this, not, not that God doesn't defend us and, and do things that, that protect us, he certainly does. But as far as a judgment, there's, the father said this, he said, I, I judge no one. The father judges no one. Jesus said, the father judges no one, and he has given all judgment to the son. Awesome verse. Jesus said, the Father judges no one, and he has given all judgment to the Son. In other words, the Son has all authority to judge. Then the Son said this, and neither do I judge anyone. For the word that I speak to you now shall judge you in the last day. You see it? So God's not in the judging business. He is totally, 
He is totally at rest. Just like our sign says, I love that, that Clark put up there on the billboard, God is not angry. He is not angry. All the wrath of God fell on the cross. And now there are only tears. There are only tears. Tears for Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you like a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. Tears for those who don't receive his sacrifice. Tears for those who don't see. See, all the wrath of God is gone. It was extinguished. The Son of God took it into his own body on the tree and extinguished the very awesome wrath of God. And that's why he cried out, Eli, Eli, why do, why do you forsake me? Where are you? Because he had never been separate from his father. This is the, the, the precious little son of God, God's treasure. And he rejected his son because he had to reject sin. And he rejected him so that we would never feel rejected again. He took on shame that we would never be, shameful, be ashamed again. Shame began in the Garden of Eden with the, with the first son of disobedience. And it passed on to all of us. He took our shame. He took our sin. He took our alienation from God. He took our fear. He took all of that on the cross. God's done with it. And now there's an open heaven. There's a, 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 a rent veil. And, and arms, as he says to Israel, I have, I have stretched forth my arms to you all the day long. Every day. All the day long. Every hour that goes by. Every hour. Every hour. All the day long. Stretch forth my arms. There's no anger. The anger is gone. The word propitiation actually means, in First John where it says, he has become the propitiation for our sin. The word in the Greek, propitiation, actually means not only payment, but a complete ex- uh, dissolving of all anger related to the issue. That anger has been done away with. Wrath is gone. We're not just forgiven, we're accepted. See, we're not just forgiven, we're accepted in the beloved. He, he yearns to, for us to run up onto his lap and, and to enjoy him. So, this thing about judgment, just be aware that the Lord's not in the, he's not, at this time, this beautiful time that we're in, he's reaching out for everyone. The Father judges no one, Jesus said. He has committed all judgment to the Son. Then the Son says, and I don't judge anyone, for my word shall judge you in the last day. What you do with what Jesus is has saying and doing in the world will judge the person in the last day, whether they receive him or not. Like when he went to Samaria, and Samaria rejected him. Now, John had the idea of the old covenant concept of judgment, obedience, law. And John said, shall we rain fire down like Elijah did? Because Elijah did do that. God honored Elijah's call to rain fire down and burn people to a crisp. And so John, knowing the scripture, said, shall we do that now, Lord? Because they're rejecting you. Samaria is rejecting you. Samaria is rejecting you. Can we, should we rain fire down? And it shows John's faith because he, he thought he could really do it. He said, should we do it? Not, can we do it? He said, should we do it? Son of thunder, who's got a little power, you know? He's like, should we do it? Should we burn them to a crisp? Because they just rejected you, Lord. I don't like the way they're treating you, Lord. Let's just burn them up. And, and, and he's quoting the Old Testament. Elijah actually did that. That was an old covenant mentality, because, but a new day has come. I mean, a whole new thing has happened. That's why if you don't really understand the gospel, you will try to harmonize these two covenants and these two experiences with God on earth, and it won't, it won't work. It'll be a mixture of law and grace and, and judgment and mercy and you know, all these things instead of seeing this awesome thing that God did to turn the world upside down in their thinking toward him and toward ourselves and toward the world. So Jesus' response to John was, John, John, you do not know what spirit you are of. For the Son of Man has not come to destroy men, but to save them. We'll walk around. And so they walked around Samaria and didn't judge them. 
Knowing not what spirit you are of is what he, he was referring to. You don't know my father. He was already seeing them in his eyes as being of his spirit. See, because they were with him, even though they were not yet born again. That's why he could delegate authority and they could cast out demons. He saw them as part of him even before it happened. So when he says, you don't know what spirit you are of, in other words, you don't know where you, you know, you don't know what really my father and what I'm all about. I have not come to destroy, but to save. And they walked around. Beautiful picture of a, of a tr- transition from a, a judgment mentality to a mercy mentality, which is what we have now in the new covenant. As Hebrews says, that the blood of Abel cried out for judgment, vengeance against Cain. But the blood of Christ cries out better things. It cries out mercy. It cries out, forgive them, Father. They know not what they do. That's not what Abel cried out. His blood cried out for vengeance against Cain. See? Totally different concept of, of where we live now in Christ, this new covenant. Okay. So let's finish this little verse right here. Verse 5. Right, this is a plain indication of, of God's righteousness, of righteous judgment, so that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which indeed you are suffering. For after all, it is only just for God to repay with, the, with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well. When, there's the word, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. That's when the judgment will fall. Verse 8, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed for our testimony to you was believed. Beautiful. Isn't that awesome? Not beautiful for the unbeliever, of course. I mean, it's, it's horrible to think what's what awaits the ones who do not obey the gospel. But notice that he puts who do, not, who do not know God nor obey the gospel. If you obey the gospel, you know God. In other words, you can't know God and not obey the gospel or you cannot not obey the God or obey the gospel and not know God. It's synonymous. It's, isn't that cool? Jesus said, my sheep know me. They know me. And I call them by name. So when you obey the gospel, and, and again, just in a, just a, a straightforward statement to obey the gospel is to do what the gospel commands you to do what does the gospel command you to do to believe to believe on jesus for the forgiveness of all sins the good news the good news commands men women to believe on jesus for the forgiveness of all sins you obey the gospel when you believe see and because you have believed, you have come to know him. Because the first thing you come to know him is he's the God of mercy, which is his, which is his heart. And then, of course, that opens up in a deeper way as we walk in this relationship with him. And he shows us his heart and the riches of who he is. But I think that's so cool that it's synonymous to obey the gospel and to know him is the same thing. And to, to obey the gospel is to believe. Yes? I think that people get confused with gospels because the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are called gospels. So they look at the Sermon on the Mount and think, this is what I have to obey. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. The word, the word gospel has got its issues. I mean, really. There are so many words that, uh, like, the word of obedience, like the word obedience, there's so many words that the enemy through the centuries 
have put layer upon layer of, of uh, wrong thinking in, this, in those words. A, a famous Supreme Court justice once said that words are merely the skins of ideas. Words are the skins of ideas. So over the centuries, the enemy has put ideas, packed wrong ideas into these skins so that now you hear the word gospel and someone may think, oh, you mean gospel music or, or, or that's the truth. That's the gospel. You know, yeah, I'm telling you the gospel, man. You got to catch the fish are over here. They're biting over here. That's the gospel. <laughs> yeah, that old cypress tree over there, the, the bass are hitting over there. I, I, I'm telling you, that's the gospel truth. You know, there's always some, so it's like it's all packed with these weird thoughts of what the gospel is. I always, I always mentally, actually, and I try to do it verbally, retranslate that to good news because that helps. Because then you go into the good news. Okay, that's what it really means, good news. Good news. What's the news? And then the fact that it is news and not something to do, but something that happened, news. News is something that you read about that happened the night before or whatever in the paper. You know, you read the news, news, something's happened, already happened. They're going to tell you about what something's happened. So something good happened. That's what the gospel is. Something very good happened. It's not something for you to do. It's something that for you to hear about because it's already happened and, and you just have to believe it or not. Do you believe it or not? See, like the old Ripley's believe it or not, you know, but, um, but that's so true. And I think that the gospel, see, a lot of people don't realize that the gospels are written It's a record of the life of Jesus while he was under law, primarily, until the very end of the Gospels, which speak of his death and resurrection. But the Gospels are about Jesus, who was, Galatians says, he was born of a woman under the law, that he might fulfill all things. So a lot of the things he spoke were not for the new covenant believer. It was for people under law to bring them to the end of themselves. See? For instance, Jesus would say, be holy as my Father is holy. Now, do you really believe Jesus meant for sinful man to really work hard to be holy as God? Or do you think Jesus was trying to tell sinful man, it's impossible. Be holy as God is holy. The reason why he was saying that, he, he had to bring them to the end of themselves because only the holy, only the perfect can go to heaven. They had to come to the conclusion that who can be saved? This is impossible. That's exactly what he wanted. And then he, when they said it, he goes, ah, but all things are possible with God. See, that's what he meant when he said, you think you've kept the law by not committing adultery? If you've even lusted in your heart one time, as a teenager, back in your 18 years old, with the hormones raging, if you lusted one time, you've already committed adultery. You've already broken that law. Mark it off. You broke it. You can never repair it. You can never go back and change that. You, broke, you committed adultery when you were 18 years old and you lusted. Or if you have anger in your heart, anger, if you got mad at somebody, you've already committed murder. Murder. Because the heart wanted to kill that person. You, the anger. See? The true essence of that was murder. You've broken that law. You've committed adultery and murder. Okay, how are you doing? And the whole point was to bring man to the end of himself to say, we can't do this. See, that's why Jesus would then turn and say to the Pharisees who thought they were righteous, he would turn to them and look, to the, look at a prostitute, at a prostitute. 
and say, this prostitute, this one, will enter my kingdom before you. Now, on the, with the natural thinking of it's all about obedience to commandments to be good enough to go to heaven, that was absurd. But in the spiritual thinking that you have to receive the gift of righteousness by faith, it was not absurd. Because he said it, actually, he said it this way, actually. He said, she will enter before you. In other words, she sees her need of a gift of righteousness. She'll see it far faster than you'll ever see it, Pharisee. She sees it today. You may see it 20 years from now when you're burned out. She sees it today. She knows that she cannot do this. Isn't that awesome? That's God. That's the good news that he has come to give us his righteousness. He became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. To obey the gospel is to believe. It's awesome. Okay, so let's, let's look at this. Um, take a look at Peter. To obey the gospel is to believe the gospel, to believe the good news. Oh, yeah, I, I want to finish that thought real quick. In the, in the gospels, it's a record of Jesus' life, okay, under the law, except toward the last part of the gospels. And a lot of things he said, for instance, he said like... Um, when he would heal someone, he said, take a sacrifice to the priest according to the law. In other words, he he was under that covenant of law. It it wasn't an act of faith. It was just an act of obedience to law. When something happened like that under the law, there was a thank offering that could be offered to the priest. And so Jesus said, take a thank offering to the priest under the law. And then he said things like this. He said, whatever they tell you to do, the the Pharisees, do what they say. For they sit in Moses' seat. In other words, they have the authority of Moses now because that's the covenant now. But don't do as they do, he said, because they don't really obey the law either. In other words, do as they say because if they're quoting Moses, that's the law. That's the truth. For now, do what they say do. For they sit in Moses' seat. But Moses is about to get unseated. A new covenant is coming. Jesus said this. He said, how can you believe when you did not believe Moses, for he spoke of me. How can you believe in me? Because you didn't even receive what Moses said of me. See, it's really key that they, that they believe what Moses said because Moses spoke of one coming greater than him. And he said, if whoever does not believe in that one shall be cut off. So anyway, so you see a lot of things. You have to see this through the eyes of Jesus being under law, and preparing the people. Now, he would turn to his own disciples and speak very differently to them. To the crowds, he would say, he would present the glory of, of his life, which was impossible for man to follow. Just awesome. He would say things out of his own being about what love is. Really, it's all about love. What love is and well, who God is. And the, the natural man hear, heard it and said, oh, I could never be like that. But then he would turn to his own disciples and he said, he would talk to them about the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. He said, unto you, I'm going to tell you something else. To them, I'd speak in parables of these mysteries. But to you, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what they mean. And so the transition was, he was bringing the natural Jewish mind to, to the end of itself. He was heightening the conscience of the Jewish mind so that they would despair 
that every mouth might be shut, the scripture says. For there's none good, no, not one. Which is why Jesus said, why do you call me good? Why do you call me a good teacher? There's none, none good but one, but God. See? He was trying to get them to that conclusion. The scripture says when Messiah comes, he would magnify the law. He would magnify it so brightly that what the Pharisees were claiming was righteous was such a dingy manifestation or dingy representation of the true holy God that when the true holiness of God came on the scene and he who had no sin was shining and glorifying this awesome law of God, which only he could keep, it just, it drove them crazy because they thought they were the the best and it showed them up for what they were and they hated him for it. And so he was supposed to magnify the law. He was supposed to bring the law to, this, to its true glory, not just a letter, but of the heart, which man did not have. Man did not have a new heart. So from his new heart, he glorified this awesome letter, which, had, which he had no problem keeping because the heart of God, God himself, is the one who spoke these laws into being, which was a manifestation of what was already inside him. You see? So... It was beautiful. He's like, that's why he walked. That's why the crowds. And what's, what's so, this, the, the juxtaposition of this awesome reality is what really is amazing. And I'm telling you, saints, this is one of the keys to you and I changing the world and witnessing the people. He came across as holy, completely without sin. Even John the Baptist said, I should be baptized by you, cousin. See, he didn't say that because he thought he was the Messiah. That was before the dove fell. He said that because John knew Jesus as his cousin. They spent time together. And John the Baptist, who was, you know, you know, do it or get out, you know, obey God or get out of the way. You know, he's like serious. And here's his nephew, I mean, his cousin coming down and he goes, Jesus, I should be baptized by you. I know you. I know your life. No, you should baptize me. See, this is what Jesus had that was so unique that you now have. You now have this. This is it. He had the holiness of God and the confidence of God walking in righteousness. Yet, he attracted people by his acceptance. They couldn't believe it. See, the Pharisees had this air of righteousness and they also rejected the prostitute. If he knew what kind of woman this was, he would not let her touch his feet. But Jesus had this unusual, impossible combination of perfect righteousness and acceptance of sinners. He ate and drank with them. See, you have that now. We have that now. You can walk with the confidence that you're as righteous as God himself as a gift and be accepting of everyone around you. It's an unbeatable combination. People will cry. People will spill their life to you. They'll talk to you. They'll be drawn to you. Because they'll see, wow, you're boasting in a righteousness that is a gift, and yet you don't reject me. That's what he had. That's why the people would empty the cities to go hear him while the Pharisees stayed home and grumbled. Because they would empty to go hear this one. No man ever spoke like this. I feel accepted in his presence. The prostitute have, could have enough courage to go in the midst of a, a dinner with the Pharisees and with, weep, with tears wipe his feet and not care what the Pharisees thought because she knew his acceptance. And they didn't. So it's, it's just so powerful to have this, this awareness that I can, I can live. And, and it's, not, it's not a matter of, of being, you know, compromising on sin and, you know, all this stuff. No. It's that God, hasn't, God hasn't compromised on sin. 
God has judged sin. God, God has given his son's life. You may have seen that video that's, that's going around. It's been around for a while. Awesome video. It's so sad, though, but it's a, it's a story of how Jesus, a picture of how the father gave, up, gave his son for us. And it's a video about this train and all these passengers are getting on the train and the, this, you see this man holding his little boy and he's just loves, loving on his little boy, talking to his little boy. You don't know who this is at first and he's, the little boy's looking up all the passengers and they're laughing and waving at him and, you know, and he's smiling back at them and, and the little boy and the, and, the, and the man is walking and then you find out, then he, then he, people are getting on the train and then you see the little boy talking to his daddy, it's his daddy. And he, the daddy says, stay here, right here, son. I'll be right back. He had a little place for him to be. You find out in the video that the, the daddy is the, uh, the guy that opens the bridge. He's the one that works, on the tra- that he works with the train company, and he, work- he opens the bridge. And he gets up to where he's going to open the bridge to let the train over, finds out that the, the bridge is, is not, op- not closed, and something's, something's wrong. And he's trying to, I think that's it, it's, it's trying to close it or whatever. And then he realizes, then he gets it working and then the bridge can be closed so the train can, can go over. Because if he doesn't close the bridge, the train's going to plunge into the, into the river and they'll all die. Everybody on the train will die. And he starts to, to close the bridge and he looks down. The train is not coming fast. He's got to do it fast. He looks down and he sees his little boy. He had climbed down, he had climbed down where the bridge comes down. His little boy is going to perish if he closes the bridge. He can't get down there fast enough. He's got a train full of people. And his little boy, they love so much. This, it's a heart-wrenching story. So he, in, in tears, he closes the bridge as the bridge crushes his little boy. And the train passes. And you see people laughing and smoking on the train. They have no idea the sacrifice he just made. I don't even like to even think about it. And so they're all, they're safe. They go across the bridge and they're safe. And the, the, the guy runs down just in, he lifts the bridge as fast as he can. He runs down and just in tears and, and his little boy is crushed. He's dead. And he just weeps and weeps and weeps. And that's what God did for us. See, all this left is tears. Tears that, People had not accepted his sacrifice. The good news with Jesus is though, that he was raised from the dead. He ever lives. But that story really drives home the point of a father's love that for people that don't even realize how good God is, how, what God did to bring, to make a bridge to the other realm, to eternity, you know. Anyway, so it's, that's, that's on the uh, internet. If you want to look at that video, it's called The Train, I think, a Christian video. It's, it's very, very powerful. Anyway, let's, let's, look at, um, let's look at this in Peter, please. We're talking about obeying the gospel. Look at 1 Peter. Or is it 2 Peter? Let me see here.
Well, this is a good one, but there's another one I was looking for that um, somewhere, you probably can find it. Um, it says somewhere where he says, obey and be sprinkled. Obey and be sprinkled by the blood of Jesus. It's 1 Peter 1, 2. Oh, 1 Peter 1, 2. There you go. Thank you so much. 1 Peter 1, 2. According to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, that you may obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. You see what it means to obey Jesus and be sprinkled with his blood means to, to believe. Because that's how you get sprinkled with his blood. So you obey Jesus by believing on him, and that brings the sprinkling of his blood on our lives. Isn't that cool? And look again, look again at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Well, let's go back a little bit. This is so awesome. Let's go... Uh, Verse 20, 1 Peter chapter, 1 Peter chapter 1, I'm sorry, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, speaking of Jesus, but has appeared or been manifested in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that our faith and hope are in God. Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and abiding Word of God. So isn't that cool? By obedience to the truth, in other words, by believing on Him, we have been born again, we have been created new. And I love that phrase where it says, for, for, you, have, for you, you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls. Souls. We've talked about that, about that before, about the, how the soul is purified, the soul is new. We have purified our souls by simply believing on Jesus. And one last verse, and we'll we'll wrap it up. Romans 16. One of my favorite verses, Romans 16. Romans 16, last chapter of Romans, last three verses, starting with verse 25. Romans 16, verse 25. And we'll wrap it up here. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the, re- and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret from long ages past but now is manifested. When he says my gospel, he's referring to himself as, a, as an apostle. So the gospel of the apostles. And then he says, and by the scriptures of the prophets. See, we're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. The reference here is the, the scriptures of the prophets because all the prophets testified of Jesus. So you have the apostles who broke open the mystery of Christ that the prophets spoke about. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So the apostles and prophets are those who expound on this reality, this mystery that's been hid and kept secret for ages, which is Christ himself. I love this. According to the commandment of the eternal God has been made known to all the nations, leading to what? The obedience of faith. The obedience of faith. Paul was sent to call the nations to the obedience of faith. To the only wise God through Jesus Christ be the glory forever. Amen. I love that. To obey the gospel is to believe the gospel. To, believe the, to obey the good news is to believe the good news. And to rest in what he did. Lord, thank you so much for helping us see these things. Let no one be tossed to and fro by words. They're merely the skins of ideas. But help us have the right idea inside those skins by the power of the Holy Spirit. As Paul said to Timothy, compare sound words with sound spiritual thoughts. Combine words with thoughts. True spiritual thoughts with true spiritual words. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name.
Amen.